Christ alone. Let's stand. In Christ alone, my hope is found.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for going with me there on that. Good morning. It's such a beautiful day. I'm so glad to be here with you. And um, there are several families traveling this morning, but it's good to see each and every one of you here, here in the house of the Lord. And um, at the body of Christ gathering in the house of the Lord, it's, uh, it's just exactly where we're supposed to be. And so um, I may reach kind of way back into the vaults this morning for some old tunes and uh, hope you, I, I know I'm going to enjoy it. I hope you will too. And I've, I was sort of listening this week to, um, to several messages and, and some of the songs kind of caught my ear. It's some that I haven't heard in a long time. And so I thought um, when Brother uh, Coffee sent me a message yesterday that uh, to be here and to help lead the singing with you, I thought, I'll sing a couple of old songs. I hope you won't mind that. And so, um, uh, can you give me a C, Sister Cobb? Do you love him? Amen. Will you serve him? Amen. Do you believe him? Shouting, Amen, Amen, Amen. Do you love Him? Amen. Is He coming? Amen. Are you ready? to Zion. Do you remember that one? I think number uh, 2112 in the songbook. Let's just begin with the chorus that everybody knows. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion. That beautiful 
listen to the message where Brother Branham is teaching those two, uh, those song, that two verses to his congregation. And so um, the first is a chorus of a well-known song. And the other one that we just sang, I'm not sure where that came from. I've only heard it in that context. But it took me back to the uh, late 1970s in my grandma's garage. And um, Brother Stokely from South Carolina had come up. He was come up. Um, just about every other Sunday morning, make the drive all the way from the Anderson area. And we had a small group of believers there. And my grandma Gabriel is 103 now. But I still remember her singing these songs. So, and I thought, let me see who remembers, who, who knows this. I know it's not going to show up on the board, but we'll go right into that after marching to Zion. And I saw a lot of people singing along. So that really was a joy to me. I've, uh, you may have your seats for a couple of minutes. We, um, <clears throat> I know we have a lot of families uh, traveling today. I do have a couple of announcements and prayer requests that I'd like to bring before you. Before you, please consider these as I go through them, and and uh, because there's a need there. Any are there any? Uh, just a need by unspoken need by a raised hand that anybody would say. So even if we don't. You know, read your need from the from the pulpit. 
we understand that there are always needs in the in the body of Christ. Yeah, every day, twenty foot's twenty four seven, and so. Um, and so, Brother Mitchell, maybe you could come up after this and lead us in a, in a prayer. Uh, I'd like to mention Sister Mary Smith. Um, she has cataract surgery on Thursday and some arthritis in her neck. So, special prayer for her. Uh, <clears throat> I'd like to also mention uh, Sister Annie Godwin. She's not doing well this morning. Sister April Grant. Andy Irish's mother. <clears throat> We'd like to bring her name before the throne as well. <clears throat> Danielle Swafford's father, he's in, he's in Florida. He is not doing well, and she is working today, so keep her in your prayers. And, um, and by way of announcement, there will be a youth gathering. This is 13 and up uh, this Saturday, so at 5 o'clock p.m. right here in our fellowship hall. If... Uh, you could go ahead and begin the planning for that. I know we'd want to see every one of our youth represented. So, Brother Mitchell. If you would just stand with me and we'll pray your reasons. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning with these needs. We just approach your throne, Lord, and we just ask that you would go down to every need that was announced this morning and you would just touch them, even the ones that were not read over the pulpit this morning with just a lifting of hands. You know those needs. We just ask that you would touch those needs, whether it be health, mental, financial. We just pray that you would just touch them. We ask that you would just be with us this morning. Just bless the service, move among us, and just speak to us, I pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're such a needy people, but we have a Savior, we have a provider. And sometimes it's, it might feel like it's easy to say, you know, uh, if it's your will, Lord, do this, do that. But yet I believe it's his will for us to earnestly and fervently seek his face. That is his will. And so that's why we go to our knees in prayer every time that we have a need of our Father. When the Oh, I like that one. Let's, let's do a couple of tunes and then we have a special. Um, Sister Lily, we're getting ready for that. This is an old one, 2283, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I can say that with confidence. Can you all say that with confidence? Can you say, I'll be there? I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll. Roll is all of God. When the 
Don't you feel all scoured out this morning? All right, we should. 
All right, Sister Lily's got a song for us. Um, Brother David, if you could, let's let's take up the offering. Uh, something that uh, 
the deacons could come forward at this time. And um, Brother David, if you could just uh, pray over that for, for us. I enjoy the old songs. I'm kind of stuck back in the camp meeting days. You can tell by the way I sing that first song we started with this morning. I don't know the new ones all that well, but I'm gonna. I've got another pop quiz for some of us old timers here this morning. Give me an F there, brother. Well, wonderful, wonderful Jesus is to me, Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God is He. Saving me, keeping me from all sin and shame. Wonderful is my Redeemer, praise His name. Oh, sing today, sing to joy and gladness. Jesus saves, satisfies, banishes my sadness. Guilty thoughts, peace in mind, peace in life. Wonderful, wonderful, Jesus is to me. Counselor, Prince of Peace, mighty God is He. Saving me, keeping me from all sin and shame. Wonderful is my Redeemer, praise His name. Once a slave, now I'm free, free from condemnation. Jesus gives liberty. And the full salvation, now the sins of the past have only been given. And my name is inscribed on the book of heaven. Wonderful, wonderful, Jesus is to me. Now to mercy, mighty God is to Living here with my Lord in a holy union, day by day, all the way, holding sweet communion. Oh, what change grace hath brought in my lowly station, since my soul has received full and free salvation. Wonderful, wonderful, Jesus is me. Counselor, Prince of Peace, mighty God is Well, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we have the victory. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, demons will have to be. Well, when we come in the name of Jesus,
I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame. Nothing satisfying there I found. But to the blessed cross of Christ one day I came. Strings of living water did abound. Now I'm drinking at the springs of living water. Happy now am I. My soul is satisfied. I'm drinking at the springs of living water. How sweet the living water from the It makes me glad and happy all the way. Now glory, grace, and honor. I'm shouting hallelujah every day. Now I'm drinking at the springs of living water. Happy now am I, and my soul is satisfied. Happy. Oh sinner, won't you come today to Calvary? A fountain there is flowing deep and wide. The Savior now invites you to the water free, where thirsting spirits can be satisfied. So I'm drinking at the springs of living water. I'm drinking at the springs of living water. supply. Sing the chorus again. Yes, I'm drinking at the springs of living water. And my soul is satisfied. Drinking at the springs of living water. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good to have all of you today. Good to have all of you with uh, such enthusiasm uh, this morning. We want to go to the Lord in prayer just before we uh, turn to the Word this morning. And uh, Brother John has listed most of these prayer requests, but I just got a text from uh, Sister Danielle. And uh, she had said that her father started spitting up blood. And so he's uh, just in serious shape today, and we want to uh, hold him up especially in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence today, it's good, Lord, for us to be here. And Lord, just in this atmosphere of expectation in the hearts of the people, Lord. And we know that that always makes it an easy channel, Lord, for you to move into. And so we invite you to come now this morning, Lord, and speak to our hearts. And we just want to lay it down before you, Lord, as the special was sung this morning. We just want to lay everything at your feet, Lord, because we know that you're still very much a supernatural God who cares about everything we go through. Lord, you know exactly what we have need of today. And I pray that you would just move me out of the way, Lord, and just speak. I pray, Lord, the things that would be beneficial to each one of us. Have your way now, we pray. We love you. We thank you. And, Lord, we invite your presence to come in a special way. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen. Let's take your Bible while you're standing, if you don't mind, and uh, let's go to Daniel chapter 2. We'll let our musicians take their places this morning. 
Daniel, the second chapter. We have a lot of folks who are not here today, but we are glad that all of you are here uh, today. Uh, Joanna, it's good to have you here today. And uh, God bless you and Kimberly. Always good to have you with us. And uh, each and every one, the Walters, great to have them back again. And uh, uh, for all of you, good to have the Holmquist here today. God bless you. And uh, each and every one. Now, it's special always uh, when Hector and Teresa come, and uh, we're glad to have them from uh, Illinois, and uh, very faithful listeners and uh, dear friends of ours from many, many years ago, and uh, glad to have them here today. Daniel chapter 2, and uh, let's read, because we want to just do a couple of verses here in uh, in this little section here. Daniel chapter 2. Verse 17. Now this is when the king gives uh, Daniel and all of his associates the challenge of coming up with the dream and then coming up with the interpretation of the dream. And then Daniel went to his house in 17 and he made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah and his companions that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his, follow, and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. As remember now, this is do or die, right? I mean, they got to come up with an answer or it's over. And then, then was this secret revealed unto Daniel in a, in a night vision. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of, the God, uh, of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings. He setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things, and he knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. That's our God. And may he add his blessing. You may be seated this morning. Now, very quickly, uh, just a couple of real brief announcements here, and I want to show you a little mission picture June 15th is Brother Richard Smith's birthday, and uh, we wish Brother Smith, they're listening today, we wish them, him a happy birthday. And then June 16th is Sister Christy Williams' uh, birthday, and she's in the hospital today. Also, today would have been Brother Larry Pruitt's 74th birthday. So we want to remember Sister Angie and the family there. Now, uh, I've mentioned this before. We're, we're working on our website to get our registration open Keep the dates for you, brothers, uh, September 24th to the 26th. We'll be holding it over in Carson Springs, and uh, we're making uh, plans now for uh, all the arrangements there. So the men's meeting, September 24th uh, to the 26th. Uh, I showed you this picture uh, a little while back. This is uh, Chihota in Zimbabwe, and this is a place that Brother Aaron was familiar with. When a group forms in a country like this, they generally start in a house. And when they outgrow the house, they come outside and they'll meet under the big tree. The big tree gives them shade. This group uh, and Brother Aaron were in contact together, and uh, they purchased, they had purchased a piece of land uh, out in a field, and they were beginning to prepare that on the week of April 25th so they could build themselves a shelter. This picture is this week, and they're completely done. And uh, state approved and ready to hold service. So they're going to dedicate that next week, I think, or the end of the month. They're going to dedicate that. We're going to see if we can get Aaron on a plane to go over and dedicate. 
he's a national hero in Zimbabwe now uh, for all the things that have been done over there. So we're thankful, Brother Aaron, for being able to participate in that. And uh, it's just a blessing to be able to help, help folks out. So that will hold them for a little while, and uh, we're, we're grateful for that. Now, uh, just wanted to uh, jump right in this morning. This is going to be a little bit different. I knew we'd have kind of a different uh, group here today. And we've been working on the, the subject of the, the real thing over the last several meetings here. But I, I wanted to just take a break from that today and uh, talk a little bit uh, about a subject that we have not talked about for a while. We did Prophecy 101, Prophecy 201, and today is Prophecy 301. Okay, so we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, go all over the place today. I'm going to go fast. Uh, lots of pictures, lots of graphics here. And I want you to follow me because the idea is, uh, as we find in, in uh, Daniel chapter 2 here, I want you just to take note of the text here uh, that uh, we've read many times before. But just to illustrate this point, that Daniel and his followers are unaware, really, of, what God is, of what, what's actually happening here. Uh, he, they have an idea uh, that, you know, they're, they're given this commission by the king. They're given a threat by the king to come up with the, uh, the dream and the interpretation of the dream and what Nebuchadnezzar needs to know here because no one in the kingdom knows. No one on earth knows what the answer to this is. And so then Daniel and his associates, they begin to pray and they begin to seek God. And God reveals things unto them in what's called a night vision. Or he, he let them know through dreams. And as Daniel being a prophet, they communi- God communicated to Daniel what the meaning of all of this was. And Daniel uh, acknowledges the fact that, hey, there's one person who knows what's going on in the world. Only one really knows what's going on, and that's God. There's only one, one being who knows what's taking place and why things happen the way they are. Many times we don't know what, what is actually taking place until it happens. And then we see it and we read about it or see the headline. But for believers now, we are thankful that we had a prophet who came and foretold certain things that were going to happen in the last day. And when we see those things taking place or coming to pass exactly as God has said in our time... It helps us to have faith that God does, he not, not only knew it back then to say what was going to happen now, but whatever is going to happen in the future, God knows about that also, right? And so we're thankful for that. We're thankful for uh, the insight that God gives and the prophetic knowledge that God bestows to his people. And so uh, he, is, he is king over all the earth, as Zechariah says here. And uh, he is, like Daniel said, he's the wise one. He, he knows. And so it, it's a shame that uh, the, the world, the governments of this world, they meet, they met last week, and they were trying to plan things out. Hey, it's a shame that they don't turn to the one who knows all the answers. It really is a shame. But we are different. Our perspective is different. And so we don't take our direction from the governments who are, at best, guessing, analyzing, trying to predict what's going to happen. We don't take our cues from them, but rather we take our cues from the prophecies about our time and about what a prophet said, right? Are you you okay with that? So I just wanted to say this, that uh, despite uh, despite what's happening in the world, the message is still going out. Uh, People are still being introduced to the message. The word is being spread. None of that has stopped. It's all still going on. 
uh, and, and we're very thankful for that. It's amazing what God is doing. It's amazing what God's doing in all the world. And I, I've showed you little snippets all the way through over the last year or so. Uh, there, there's much more that could take place. Someday we might take a service and just kind of uh, go through it and just show you the things that are taking place. But I will tell you what, God knows exactly where his seed are. He knows exactly where the bride is. And he knows how to find her. He knows how to put the message in her language and get it distributed right into their hands so that they would be, uh, they would be as included as you and I are. And, and I'm thankful for that. That's God's doing. That's not our doing. That's God's doing. But this is happening all over the world. So let's take a couple of quick scriptures here before we uh, get too far into this. But I want you to follow me now as much as you can. Uh, for you theologians that are here, you can kind of take your theological gun and slide it back into your uh, ecclesiastical holster there and uh, just kind of relax here and, uh, and, and watch this. Many of these scriptures and uh, some of the statements you've seen before, so that's why I'm going to uh, talk a little faster than normal. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, the principle that Moses tells the people is that the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but these things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. So God hides things in the, in the scripture, doesn't he? He hides things in there from the wise and the prudent. But he doesn't hide them from us. He hides them for us. He allows us to be able to discover them in the season that God wants us to know. And so God's got it, God's got it hidden, but God's able to reveal it and to reveal it unto those that he chooses. And so we're thankful for this understanding that we have of his word. And by him, all things are created. So everything that operates in his kingdom, everything that operates uh, the laws and the principles in the earth, they're all created by God, and they serve a purpose that only he sometimes really knows. There are things that, the, the, that scientists are discovering that, uh, you know, they, they never knew years ago, but they are intri- intricate and integral parts of the working of the universe, like they're discovering things about uh, your human body that they never knew before. The time is at hand. Daniel chapter 12 uh, prophesies, But thou, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. And many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Now, when the knowledge comes from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it tends to uh, turn out or be exploited for negative uses, right? When technologies are, are discovered or uh, scientific discoveries are made, uh, when they fall into the hands of an unbeliever, they'll, they'll tend to work towards the negative side uh, of, of, uh, of uh, you know, of, they tend to work towards the negative side. They tend to, uh, they can be like uh, Brother Branham talked about gunpowder, and he said, uh, you know, they discovered gunpowder and used it for uh, negative reasons, and they, they used it for destructive purposes. Everything that's discovered is not bad, but when it falls into the wrong hands, it can be used for bad, right? That's what I'm trying to say. And so let's just jump right in now and talk about knowledge that, that increases here. This is an interesting phenomenon, and this is actually uh, a photograph of a laboratory that is near Chicago, up where Brother Hector and Sister Teresa live. And uh, it is an accelerator, and these accelerators are fascinating to me, where they took particles and put them in there, and they accelerated them in order to study them. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of counterintuitive to me, because whenever, whenever I went to the doctor as a little guy, the doctor always told me to st- sit still. To be still. But when they examine these particles, and these particles are called muons. I bet you've never heard of muons before. 
But many muons ago, they discovered these, and they're little tiny particles that uh, they, they accelerate in a rapid uh, pace, and they, they, they study them, and they were, they were, this is all about making a measurement of something in order to prove a theory, if you like. And uh, these particles are very small. Just to give you the, the, the relative size uh, issue here, the, the, the thing on the right here is a human hair, Okay. So when you look at a human hair blown up, these particles that we're talking about are really, really small. Once you come down to about this place right here, you can no longer see these things with the naked eye. Okay, so everything on, on this side over here, you need microscopes in order to, uh, to deal with. These are like uh, the crystals on a beach and uh, white blood cells and so forth. But when you come down to red blood cells and all the other things down here, this is a Zika virus right on the end right there. Very small little tiny particles. They're what's called subatomic particles. So they're smaller than an atom. And an atom has all these little parts in there, and a muon is this little part inside. Uh, it's kind of like uh, a, a portion of... Um, or related to electrons, we'll say, without going into a bunch of science. And they were looking at these because they wanted to make a measurement of this stuff. And these muons are particles that have a really, really, really short life. It's in the nanoseconds. And they're affected by cosmic light that's out in the, out in the universe, and it moves all the time. We have all, we're surrounded by cosmic light. Now, that triggered my attention because Brother Bannum always talked about how our bodies are made of petroleum and potash and calcium and cosmic light. Now, he said this first in 1953. Who in the world knows what cosmic light is? If you Google cosmic light, they don't even have a real good answer for what it is. Imagine Google not having an answer. But Brother Bannum consistently mentions cosmic light. And so the reason that I included this is that uh, this is a, a, a little portion of an article that I had here uh, on my desk that somebody gave me about uh, this, this uh, muon and the measurement of it and so forth. But what was interesting about this is that uh, the scientists who were working on this actually admitted something that is a rare thing for physicists to admit. And that is this, to model the universe as precisely as possible is to try to see the one thing that even the strictest atheist would agree on is everlasting. To try to achieve in a lab an imitation of immortality. And they were, they were essentially saying that when they, when they look at these laws and the way that this, this operates and this cosmic light operates in the, in the universe and they're trying to measure it, it's almost like they, they realize... We know very little about how all of this works. And somehow or another, this is the closest thing that we've ever seen that would compare to immortality. Imagine, but that, that might not seem like a great thing to you, but for, to physicists, that's a really big thing for them to say uh, that, that the universe and the laws and the, the, the principles that operate within it are the closest thing to immor immortality that you'll ever see. And they're realizing that Wow, there's a whole lot of things out there we really don't know and understand. Now, here's what Brother Branham said. He said, why do I care how old I get, how old you get, how wrinkled we are, and how stooped we get? doesn't mean a thing. One of these days, Jesus is coming and will snap back to a young man and a woman and live forever. And our bodies are made up out of cosmic light and petroleum. They come from somewhere. And he said they wasn't here, then they are here, and then they are not again. 
So they existed somehow. Then you see us, right, in the human body, and then we're gone again. And he said, but God knows every atom that's holding your body together and every speck of light and every cell, petroleum, calcium, phosphate, everything that goes in the human body that came out of the earth. He knows right where every speck laying, and someday your spirit will be turned loose and it will scream for light. God's got all kinds of these dimensions that operate. And I'll tell you what, it's way beyond what, uh, what our scientists know. Now, in the invasion of the United States, this is a statement that you've heard before in 1954. He said, we're living in the shadows of time. In other words, the sun is setting, and it could happen any time. When we see the times come for things to take place, and the very wickedness of the enemy and the powers... We look at these snowstorms and the pestilences that's caused by all these interruptions of firing these bombs and things. And they're getting all these things mixed up. And we're, they're messing around in God's big laboratory to fulfill his word. They're messing around in God's laboratory. And let me tell you, there's big money. There's a lot of smart people who are uh, messing around in the laboratory. And they're finding keys to life. They're finding some of the parts of the puzzle that go together. And he said, they're doing that to fulfill God's word. So it's got to happen. And the man of sin rising up in power so deceitful. And I heard a minister, a spirit-filled man, taking the mark of the beast and saying that the Antichrist was Russia. What an error. Russia has nothing to do with it. He said that's scriptural. Now, but notice in the great time we're living in, it's a warning. It's a warning time that we're living in. Now, let me just summarize that and say this. I'm glad we've had a prophet who could look out in, into the Word of God and look out into the future and say, this belongs here, and this belongs here, and this belongs here. And it's not confusion at all. It's not wonderment at all. It's not a good guess at all. It's thus saith the Lord and how He could put things together for us. But you can see how people without a prophet would have all kinds of theories and ideas and uh, conspiracy theories and everything else because they want to know. They want to know how this fits together. Human beings want to know what the answers are. And so uh, it's, it's kind of a natural thing for people to get into the laboratory and mess around and try to uh, figure things out. Or come up with theories about the Antichrist. Or, uh, you know, the vaccine is the Antichrist or the mark of the beast. And all the other things that are out there. It's a desire for people to know. Don't be too hard on those people. Because without a prophet, you'd probably be one of them who are scrambling to put it together in your own mind and figure it out. Don't be too hard on those folks. Let me tell you, by God's grace, He has given us an insight in the things that are unfolding in our world. And we look at quotes like this. No, none of you jumped up and clapped your hands and uh, raised your hands in the air. None of you did that because you know why? We hear that every service that we come to church. We're so used to hearing the voice of a prophet and the words of a prophet here. But I will tell you this. I'm glad that he makes sense out of the confusion that exists in our world. I'm glad that he's made sense of, of the times that we live in. Otherwise, we'd be groping around in darkness just like everybody else. And then he says, Father, as we open this word, speak to us directly out of this word that we might know the hour that we're living in. And if we know the hour we're living, we can prepare for that hour. But if we go in blindly, not knowing what or where, then we don't know how to prepare. There's all kinds of people that are moving towards the tribulation, have no idea where it's taken them, where the path they're on has taken them. But by God's grace, he's got us on another path, and we know where it's taking us. We need to prepare for the destiny that we know is at the end of the path. The path is great, but the path is not the destiny. 
the destiny is where God's people are going to gather over on the other side, which is the marriage supper of the Lamb. I want to be ready for that. I want to make sure that everything is in readiness for that. So when we look at the timeline now over the, uh, the last 7,000 years, these, are, these segments here are all familiar to us. Every 2,000 years something happens, right? But let's focus, uh, as we come through the church ages, let's focus now on the last part of this, uh, where there's a, uh, a uniting that goes on between Christ and his bride, and there's a whole bunch of uh, world events that are taking place all at the same time, right at the very top of that pyramid. So we thank God for everything that happened to get us to there, but now we want to focus on the very top of that pyramid. Is that, is that okay? That's what we're going to do this morning, all right? So from Babylon to Mystery Babylon, Luke 21, uh, Luke uh, describes this through the words of Jesus, and he says that they shall fall by the sword. They shall be led away captive into all nations. This is speaking of the Jews. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down to the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. The fact that you're still here means that the times of the Gentiles is not fulfilled, but we're living at the very ending of the times of the Gentiles. And when that happens, that's a, that's a trigger for Israel to get the full benefit of Joseph revealing himself to them. Right? So therefore, there are three different Exodus cycles that happen within those first uh, 6,000 years. And the first one was uh, spearheaded by Moses, and then, of course, John the Baptist to the Apostle Paul in the second Exodus. And then in the third one, uh, beginning right around 1933 in the Ohio River, when Brother Branham's commissioned uh, to go and bring this message like John the Baptist did. And it will, it will spark or trigger a third Exodus, and we find ourselves living at the very end of that third exodus. Aren't you glad you're living at the end of it and not looking at the history of it? So in Luke chapter 11, sorry, let's just, I'm just, I'm watching my time here and I want to uh, get into some things here. Now, <clears throat> Brother Benham tells us, and this is a really important uh, quotation here, and I, I wanted to highlight the fact that there's a asterisk just right there. There's two spirits that are at work in the world. Not, not, uh, uh, there's two spirits. One of them is God's Holy Spirit. And the other one is the devil's spirit working in deception. He works in deception everywhere. In church, churches. He works in deception in government. He works in deception in education, right? He works in deception in lots of different areas. And the people of this earth now are making their choice. And the Holy Spirit is here calling out a bride for Christ. And he is doing it by vindicating his word of promise to her for this age showing that it is Christ. So the remedy for uh, the deception that Satan brings is the revelation of Jesus Christ that is given to the bride in the last day. Right? The, the, the remedy for deception, because that's how Satan works, the remedy for false news, the remedy for false teaching is the revelation that God gives of himself as a promise to her about the age that we're living in right until the time the bride goes, Right? And that revelation is going to be so powerful, one day it'll change your atoms. It'll change your body and put you in the body that God ordained for you eternally. That revelation is a powerful thing. It brought you to where you are, but it's also powerful enough as, as God turns up the heat or the intensity of that revelation, it will also transform your body and bring you into the kingdom of, of God forever. You'll never have to come back again. So that remember now, we are translated by faith, aren't we? By faith, Enoch walked with God. By faith, God took him. And that's the same way that you and I are going to get out of here is by faith. And so faith comes by hearing. 
These things are revealed to us by a prophet. And this is the age-old prophecy given to us from Amos. That surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth, or he makes, he makes known a disclosure of truth unto his uh, servants, the prophets. And this is what God does uh, over all through time. And Brother Branham says, prophecy never fails. It cannot. Prophecy never fails. It cannot. The Word of God can't fail. Say it with me. The Word of God can't fail. It will not fail. And Paul tells us, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. And now we can understand that a little bit better because God reveals things to his people in season. In the season it is to be revealed, God reveals things. Back in the first age, they did not have a sense of uh, when all of this would happen, the voice, the, sorry, the shout, and the voice, and the trump, and the resurrection, and all those different things that Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 and 2 Thessalonians 2, where he talks about the man of sin. We don't get time markers with all of that. But Paul says, hey, no need to worry about it. He says, because even if we're not in the season of it, When we come into that season, God will alert the bride by revelation, and they'll know exactly how to prepare for the age they're living in and where they're going, right? Because that's the promise. Everybody still with me? All right. Now, in doing this presentation, I I, I talked to a lot of people, and I researched this because I talked to ministers back in uh, South Carolina a couple of months ago, and I talked to several financial folks who were here. I talked to uh, people who were, uh, you know, involved in... Uh, political uh, things, and I I did a lot of research, did a lot of reading, and I I went back and tried to pull things together in a way that would make sense to you. And uh, years ago, one of my sons went to Princeton University up up in uh, in the east, and uh, he had an opportunity to meet with uh, Ambassador Alan Baker. And Alan Baker uh, was the former uh, ambassador to to Canada from Israel, and uh, he's a pretty, uh, pretty uh, popular fellow, a pretty uh, important guy in Israel today. And uh, he, w- he was an expert in international law and uh, the former uh, ambassador to Canada. He's the director of the Institute of Contemporary Affairs at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs uh, today. And uh, Andrew asked him the question, and, and normally when you get a meeting with somebody like this, uh, you have to submit questions so they can prepare. And he had this opportunity at Princeton to, to talk with him. And he asked him this question, is prophecy more powerful than politics? And this was his answer. He said, in my opinion, the answer is affirmative. Yes, politics may add nuances and complications to reaching the final end of the prophecy, but they can't alter the ultimate and predetermined course of things that are determined by the Creator. Thank God. That was his answer. So is prophecy more stronger, is stronger than politics? Absolutely. It absolutely is. And, you know, as, a, as a, a, you know, a Jewish person looking at the whole thing, he says, you know, when you stand back and look at it, there's somebody behind all of it. Aren't you glad there's somebody behind all of it? It's not just random chaos. It's not just confusion or uh, differences between nations. There's a purpose being fulfilled right as we sit here today. There's a purpose being fulfilled that God had in mind for this hour that we're living in. And you play a part in that, right? Every one of us play a part in that. So the things that are happening today are not just political events, but they're happening for specific reasons. So, Brother Manum, uh, you know, in the Scripture, Acts chapter 7 here, uh, when Stephen is speaking here, he describes that uh, the seed of Abraham would sojourn in a strange land, 
and God would bring them out after 400 years. Now, watch what Brother Branham says here. He said, now, God had promised Abraham that his seed would sojourn for 400 years, but would come out under his mighty hand. It doesn't matter how mighty the hand was that tried to hold them back. There's a mightier hand that reaches out to free them from the bondage they're in. And God's promises always comes true. Say that with me. God's promises always comes true. And God always makes his word right. The old prophetic wheels and cogs of God grind slowly, but surely comes right up to the place. Don't you be lulled to sleep by the lack of activity here or maybe on the news cycle they're trying to find something to report on. You know, since Trump is not in office, they've got nothing to do. And, it, it's, it, you know, it's just an amazing thing. Sometimes you think, well, nothing's happening. Don't you believe that for a minute? In this day, there's lots of things that are happening Even if the news media doesn't describe things of interest to you, there are things happening in God's providence that are bringing the word to pass all over the world. And let me tell you, the bride is very much a part of that. They're very much involved in that. So when we stand back and look at in the lifetime of a prophet, uh, we look at, you know, Brother Manum comes on the scene, breaks on the scene in 1930, and that's when in that time period, that's when the angel meets him in the cave there, and uh, in 1947, we know it was a pivotal year. That's when Israel uh, was recognized at the United Nations. The World Council of Churches formed in Amsterdam. And NATO also formed uh, as a result of World War II. And so there were some significant world events that are still uh, very much uh, effective today uh, in our time. And so as you go down and look at the, the time frame there, there was a lot that happened in the lifetime of a prophet. Let's take it a little bit further. And you look at, uh, you know, the things that are included here, and we won't go through them all, but you can kind of get a glimpse. You can have this PowerPoint if you want it. It'll be posted so everybody can have it. But here's Brother Branham. Uh, you know, a man that God chooses without a lot of education, he didn't even have PowerPoint. Hey, they didn't even have Walmart in Brother Branham's lifetime, right? Didn't have, it didn't have cell phones. Didn't have any, any of the things that we kind of take for granted today. But here's a man God uses standing right there and pulling it all together and giving us this picture, this layout of all these things that are taking place here. He's getting that information not from not online. He's getting an information in line with the mind of God. That's what he's got. He's got a, he's got a connection with God. He's like, just like Moses was, uh, you know, that, that, that connector, that switch between uh, the, the program of God and the people of Israel that were on earth. And here's Moses come down and said, hey, I'm here to deliver the children of Israel. Why? Because God has placed me right here, right now for this purpose. And he's one man on the earth who knows what's going on here because he's getting it directly from God. He's not getting it from any other source. He's getting it directly from God. When you look at this screen, you're seeing a repeat of exactly the same thing. Here's a man on earth who knows what's going on and bringing the bride forward into all of this here because he knows that's exactly what God would have him to do. And now you're the people that are fulfilling the last part of this here until the change and then uh, the gospel goes back to Israel. Now, all right, now watch what he says now. I, I know you're watching what he says. Judgment's just about to strike this nation, and not only this nation, but all the nations. I believe what we've been through in the last couple of years, since the year 2000, has been forms of judgment striking the nations. Think back. Think back. At, you know, ripples in the economy, uh, pestilences, uh, uh, 9-11, all the other things that you could think back from 2000 onwards. What you're looking at is precursors of judgment. 
precursors of God removing his hand of mercy from this nation and the nations of the earth. And they're nervous. That's really true. They cannot tell what makes them this way. The psychopathic wards are running over and they don't know what's causing it. It's the coming of the Lord. It's always darkest before day because the day the day pressing the darkness together. And it's right now the darkest hour because it's just before the breaking of the day. Just before the breaking of the day. I'm glad I know there's a breaking of the day. I'm glad I know there's an end of this struggle on this earth. I know there's an end of this struggle on the earth. Aren't you glad there's an end to it? You're not going to have to put up with the frustration and the nervousness and the tension and the sickness and all the other uh, uncertainties that are in our world today. There's an end to it. God said it. Thus saith the Lord. There's an end to all of this. And it will end in the glorious departure of the bride of Christ. And we'll be taken out of here in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. I'm glad for that. So what in the world is going on? And how did all this happen? And what's God doing? Those are the questions that we want to look at. Right? So there's three things that I want to say that uh, kind of, in a sense, summarize uh, things that are taking place in the world. All right? Number one is the things that are happening in nature. Brother Manum describes this, and he talks about how in the sixth seal, he goes into it in detail. And here's just one statement here. When he'd opened up the sixth seal, there was an earthquake, and all nature was interrupted. Now, when, when that, that's quite a statement to make. Five words, all, then all nature was interrupted. An interruption of nature is a big thing. A change in nature. I mean, changes in nature affect everything, right? Like droughts, that's a, that's a bit of a change in nature. Or, uh, you know, storms and things that come. Those are changes in nature. And he says that all nature was interrupted. God's been doing great things like healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind, doing great works. But we find out here that nature took a tumble. He's describing the sixth seal. He's talking about how this is all going to eventually come out. And he says nature takes a tumble. Yes, he says all nature. I don't know what that's like. I don't know if you know, but I don't know what that's like. He says when the earth quaked and the sun went black and the moon doesn't give its light and the stars shook, and fell. When's the last time you've seen that? And everything happened right at the time of the opening of the sixth seal. That's a major event. And that's one I'm hoping I won't be around to see. So what in the world is going on? Is there a food shortage? And, and is the climate really changing? And all, You know, there's, there's questions that we have because the world out there is coming up with different ideas and theories. They want to know what's going on. So the second thing that we want to talk about is... The, the financial aspect of uh, our world today. And this all has to happen because uh, Rome controls the gold, right? If we, hopefully we'll get there this morning, where Rome controls the gold of the earth. And when Brother Branham talked about money, he didn't talk about cryptocurrencies, and he didn't talk about quantitative easing. He talked about ordinary stuff that we all would be familiar with, like cash and gold and bonds and uh, things like that, just kind of normal things. And Brother Brandon makes this statement in the fourth seal. He says, remember, Judas took the place as a treasure and fell by money. So does the church of this day. And the Catholic church charging for novenas. Hey, my family paid for novenas in this statement right here. Charging them for prayers and charging them for everything. It's almost the same. Fell the same as the daughters of the Catholic church, which the Protestants, he said, the whole thing is wrapped up in money. 
powerful statement. Now remember where he's saying these things. He's saying them in the opening of the seven seals, which is a really pivotal part of Brother Bram's ministry. It's a really important part of his ministry because now all of a sudden the seals are off the book. There's a revelation coming forth. There's light on things we've never seen through the ages. And now he's describing what he's seeing, right? Nature takes a tumble. It's all the whole thing's wrapped up in money and the Catholic Church and all of these things are a part of that. And now we have all kinds of creative solutions, so-called, in order to ease the problems that we have when it comes to finances in the world. I'm talking about globally. Uh, everything from cryptocurrencies and quantitative easing, as I said before, and all of the different things that are out there that are attempts to, to bring solutions to the problems that we face financially in the world. Now, some of you brothers are in this field and much more, you know, intelligent in terms of describing this. So I, I, I'm going I'm to back out as quickly as I get into this here. But I don't know if you noticed the G7 met, the, the leaders of the uh, G7 met this, uh, this past week in England. And uh, they approved a, uh, a global tax, you know, and they're going to they're gonna somehow try to uh, make it possible for all of the big corporations like Apple and all the rest of them to pay taxes like everybody else globally. That's an interesting thing to think about how that could be enforced. It's an interesting thing to me, and I may not be accurate this, with, with this, but to say that, you know, if there's ever going to be a one-world system which, which forces people to buy and sell only when they have a mark, there has to be a system or a platform in place for them to step up onto. And I'm just saying, what if? What if we're living at a point where they're actually, this past week, approving systems or bringing ideas to the table as to how we're actually going to do this? I mean, what if? The third thing that I want to say is that in terms of the increase in scientific research, it's just fascinating how fast things are going. It's amazing how fast things are going. And Brother Bram said, my grandfather uh, went to see grandmother in an ox cart. And he said, now it's a jet plane and all the other things that are there. And then he goes on to talk about the conditions of the world and the conditions of science and in the educational system. The educational system. Because if you want to teach another generation about how things should be, you've got to affect the education system, Right? And the educational system is being affected in our country in a big way. And he said, I got newspaper clippings of teaching sex in our schools. Hey, folks, I think you'd agree. We've gone a long way from that. So I, 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 I wish we had more time to flesh some of this out. But I will tell you this, that we're on the verge of 5G becoming accessible to everybody. And that will change everything in a great way. It'll change things in ways that we're not even thinking of. And I will tell you that, uh, you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of scrambling and debate now about how, if possible, to regulate this because it's going to link the world together in technology. It's going to link the world together in finance. It's going to link the world together uh, in space exploration. It's going to link the world together in communication. It is really a huge step. It's not just going to be a... Faster, sleeker phone for you. There's going to be a whole lot more happen as a result of that. And you'll see as we go along here. So in this article, which was, uh, it, it's, it's called The Kitchen Sink. And the references on the bottom. It's actually a very good uh, source of, of this kind of information. 
It'll affect five key areas, mobile broadband, ultra-reliable, low-latency communications, which is used in, in space, massive machine-type communications, power efficiency, and security. So when we think about uh, the grid and how the power grid actually works and how communication works across the world, uh, security, banking, all of that will all be affected, and it's all being planned for as we speak at the moment. But here's one example you're probably not thinking of, and that is the Space Force. So they did an interview with a guy who's the chief of the Space Force, and he was describing what he was seeing and why there actually is a Space Force. How many know that there is a Space Force? It's another branch of the military, right, of armed forces. And so they've created the Space Force. You know why? Because they had to, because the Russians and the Chinese were up there having a great time with nobody monitoring what they were doing. So I'm just telling you now, because Brother Branham describes this, and I, I just want to give you a little clip of that interview, this little insight. And he said, I talked about the capability that China demonstrated in 2007. So back in 2007, the Russians and the Chinese were fooling around with this technology here. So the Americans had to step in because everything you do, everything that's on your cell phone today is affected by something up in space. Every bank transaction you make bounces off something in space. They have a missile up there that the Russians do called the Nudal, and it's the same type of missile that shoots from the ground. An ICBM shoots from the ground. An intercontinental ballistic missile shoots from the ground. The Nudal has a platform where that ICBM is mounted on the satellite. So they don't have to go like this anymore. They just go like this, and it's far deadlier. It's designed to kinetically destroy satellites in what we call low orbit, the orbit closest to the Earth. So there's all kinds of satellites that are moving around in low orbit. And these weapons are designed to disintegrate. And when it talks about kinetically destroy something, it means, like Brother Brandon described, they have a bomb now that will make things just uh, be obliterated, you know, in a second. And that's what kinetic destruction actually is. And he said, back in 2007, they actually had that technology floating around in the air. And that's where the ISS, the International Space Station, operates. Both countries have capabilities in orbit that are concerning, and all these threats are here today. We're not talking about the future. So Russia launched a satellite, and I described it as a nesting doll. Now, in Russia, you see them all the time. They're babushka dolls. And you see the doll and open it up, and there's another doll, and you open that up, and you see another doll, and you open that up, right? They're called babushka. And they launched this satellite and put it very close to one of our satellites in low Earth orbit. And then when the satellite opens up, it released another satellite. And that baby satellite, if you will, has the capability, because we saw them demonstrate this force. In, in this part of space, we saw the satellite launch a projectile, and we knew that satellite is designed to kinetically kill or destroy U.S. satellites in low Earth orbit. Hey, folks, you, after church, you'll go on to dinner, and then you'll go home, and you'll, you know, click on the Internet and check your email and then go to bed. And all the while, you don't know, but there's people up there blowing up satellites and, and uh, babushka dolling uh, machines up there, and you, you never knew anything about that. And then we came out, we the Americans came out and said, this is the interview now. We came out and said, that's irresponsible behavior. And they move further away. So this is where they're blowing up the satellites. So when the U.S. protested, they just said, we'll go here. And they released a projectile. 
And similarly, China has a satellite that has a robotic arm. And think about a satellite that has a robotic arm, how it could in the future reach out and grab a satellite. Who in the world is the best at copying technology? Right? So the Chinese go along like this, and they bring their arm out, and they put the American satellite in the bay and drive off. And you know what they do? They take that thing apart, and they look at how it works. And then there's 60 billion of them floating around in space out there. You see why we have to have a space force out there. Here's Brother Branham. Because what if science today is trying to build something, a bomb, that will go way up or put a man in a Sputnik and send him up in the sky? This is 1961. And Russia made a blow recently across the world, and they had a man in the skies up there put a man in space. And he said, well, that's nothing to blow about. He said, we had a man in space for 2,000 years. That's Jesus Christ. And Russia hasn't got nothing on, on us. And the man returned to stay. Jesus can go wherever he wants to. So, Brother Bram, and, and there's many other comments where Brother Bram talks about things that are happening up there in space. And let me tell you, it's a, it's, it's a really interesting part. But here's, here's something that I, I think will, uh, is interesting. And that is, is China a real threat? And I'll challenge any of you today, not in a bad way, but to go in your Bible and find any reference to China. And no one says anything. Because it's not there. You'll find uh, things about Russia. You'll find things about Babylon. You'll find things about Israel. You'll find things about the other Arab nations there. But you won't find anything at all about China. So prophetically, in a sense, there are nothing. But today, they're a real play in the world. Partly because they're trying to become the next superpower. The next superpower means that there's a comp real competition on in our world to see who's the strongest. And so, therefore, in a sense, prophetically, we don't have to really worry too much about China. They can be, like Russia, a tool in the hands of God to bring vengeance or justice, ju sorry, judgment or uh, destruction on the Vatican or something else. Or they can weaken the system in the world so that America is not quite as strong as what it used to be. I'm just saying. That's all. I'm just saying this morning. So this is an article uh, that uh, talks about China building offensive, aggressive military strength in the world. And the, the, the Pacific commander uh, made this comment on CNN from Hong Kong. And he said that China is assembling an increasing offensive military and expanding its regional footprint as Beijing steps up effort to supplant American military power in Asia, a top U.S. commander warned. So China's influence is to take over the Asian Pacific rim and then to move on beyond that. And this is his statement. I cannot, for the life of me, understand some of the capabilities that they're putting in the field unless it is an aggressive maneuver. You don't do that unless you're planning to fight, unless you're planning to push back another's boundaries. You don't develop weapons like they have. I see them developing systems, capabilities, and posture that would indicate that they're interested in one thing and one thing only, and that is aggression. We want to take over. As a result of this now, they have a larger naval force than the Americans do. They have the most ships, most, uh, most submarines. They have the most uh, uh, naval technology now, which means that they have a, a greater footprint or a greater reach all around the world. 
I gave you this article a little while ago. I said there's some in the library there you can pick up. And it talks about China's Middle Eastern influence and how that they are uh, influencing financially and through the acquisition of oil and natural gas, how they're influencing Middle Eastern nations. They're, they become a great power in Africa and the Middle Eastern nations here. This will give you a, a little idea. This is called the Belt and Road Initiative. And I mentioned this to you before in other sermons here. And the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, if Brother Anwar was here, he could tell you uh, very clearly how Pakistan was one of the first places where this road went, and the lines are in blue, where they're making major, super major thoroughfares to export their materials out to those nations and completely take over their markets at the cost of giving money to those nations. And then in return, natural gas, oil, all of those products flow back to China to keep their operation rolling. And so it's called Belts and Roads. And you'll find this uh, talked about if you go look, if you Google that statement, you'll see all kinds of photographs there. And the purple lines are shipping lines where they are uh, absolutely dominating shipping lanes and shipping uh, systems so that they can have priority in getting their products to market. This is, this is one of the first steps of a very huge master plan that the Chinese have in order to control world markets. When you control world markets, you control world funds. When that happens, then the yuan, which is the currency of China, rises as a reserve currency of the world. And that would be the greatest threat and the greatest single crippling factor for the United States. And I will tell you that people in government told me that if the reserve currency is threatened to change to another currency besides the U.S. dollar, that would be a military move. The response to that would be military action by the United States government because that would change everything. You can ask me later about the reserve currency. So just as an example of this, let's go to the country of Iraq. All right? Now, Iraq, you know, we're all familiar with certain things that have happened in Iraq. Everybody Okay. Uh, can I go a little bit farther? We haven't even gotten to Israel yet, the changes that took place this week. In Iraq, the first of the developments was the announcement from Iraq's finance minister that the country had started exporting 100,000 BPD, which is barrels per day of crude oil to China in October, as part of a 20-year oil for infrastructure agreement, meaning China comes in and says, your country is bombed to bits. You don't have hospital schools, bridges, roads, railways. You don't have any of that stuff. Let us come in and build all of that for you at no charge to the Iraqi people. We'll build playgrounds. We'll build hospitals. We'll build schools and universities. We'll build uh, overpasses. We'll do all of that for you at no charge. You just give us oil and lots and lots of it. Fifty percent of all Iraqi oil goes straight to China. The broad framework of this arrangement was agreed last September during a visit by Iraq's then Prime Minister to Beijing with the purpose of expanding China's then U.S. dollar, $20 billion investment in Iraq. That's how much they were making, $20 billion a year in Iraq. It now went to $30 billion a year in annual trade between the two countries. So that's why Iraq can say things. Their government can refuse certain things that the Americans want to do. They can refuse things that Americans want to accomplish in, in that region. Because you know what? They've got another big daddy over here who's paying a lot of the bills. And their investment is increasing in that part of the world. 
Speaking of Iraq, I just thought this is interesting, and I'll throw it in. Last March when the Pope uh, visited Iraq over there, it was quite, a, uh, quite an interesting thing. And one of the things that he did was to go see this gentleman right here, who's a recluse, but he's a pastor to about 100 million Muslims in that part of the world. And whatever he says goes. He is the Pope uh, to these Muslims in that part of the world, dressed in black. He doesn't see anybody. He's a reclusive person. He doesn't get up for anybody. But when the Pope came in, uh, this, this fellow, Sistani, he, uh, he, he was uh, considered, uh, you know, this wise man of God. This is what the Pope actually said. And he said that the cleric told him that he had received few visitors over the last ten years. And the Pope said he felt honored against, because of the, uh, the usual protocol. He got up to greet me. And uh, symbolically, he went there to uh, deliver, uh, to present to the uh, uh, Mr. Sistani, or Pastor Sistani, a what's called a fatwa, and a fatwa is a law that is stated in uh, in the Muslim faith, which is equivalent to what we would refer to as like a prophecy or "Thus saith the Lord." When a prophet says "Thus saith the Lord," that's the highest authority you can have, right? So when a man like him declares a fatwa. Uh, it is equivalent to thus saith the Lord. And everybody listens. Everybody agrees. And the Pope wanted him uh, to have Muslims to uh, back off on uh, dealing negatively with the Catholic Church in that whole region because the Catholics were under persecution. Uh, lots of explosions and churches blown up and clerics killed and so forth. So they, they came to an agreement. You know why? Because the Pope can go places like that and make agreements with everybody in the world, even non-Catholics. So a little while ago, somebody gave me a podcast, and I, 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 I listened to it because of who gave it to me, and I, I, I found a statement on there. And I've just, I listened to it about ten times because I wanted to be sure I had it right. These are the exact words. When uh, attorney Amy Cohen Barrett, is that her name? When she was uh, chosen, President Trump then made the statement, the Catholic Church is very well united on this. They are so thrilled that Amy was chosen. They are so thrilled. And I'm thinking, hello? Did I hear that right? They are so, the Catholic Church is so thrilled that she's on the Supreme Court. They are so thrilled. Got my attention. Why would the Catholic Church be interested or be happy that she's on the Supreme Court? Let me, can I dig in just for a minute? If President Donald Trump does get a chance to nominate Justice Ginsburg, which at this point when this article was written, she had not passed away, where does a a president go to get candidates? Don't read it yet. I'll read it with you. Where does a president go to get candidates for the Supreme Court? Where's the stockpile of judges that are waiting to be nominated for the Supreme Court? And I was curious about that, and so I, I went on and did a little bit more digging here. And whoever takes her seat will come from a firm, come with a firm stamp of approval from the conservative Federalist Society. Hello? I never heard of the Federalist Society. The Supreme Court, in other words, may be about to get another seismic jolt rightward, thanks in part to the Federalists or the Federalist Society. And liberals don't seem to have an answer for this. Over the past decade, the Federalist Society ascended from modest origins in American universities to become one of the most influential legal organizations in American history. 
with intellectual reach and political clout that no one else in the country can match. So in other words, this is a, 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 a group that are a part of the Federalist Society that in a sense is backed by the Catholic Church to school and raise up attorneys and judges to be Supreme Court candidates. The one common factor among all of them is that they're Catholic. So look at the, look at the statistics here. There have been 115 Supreme Court justices in all of our history in America. 91 have been Protestant, 15 have been Catholic. Presently, seven of the nine are Catholic, two are Jewish. That means nearly half of all Catholic—sorry, nearly half of all the Catholics that have ever been on the Supreme Court sit on the Supreme Court today. The lower federal court has also seen a similar increase, where they have 35% of appointees to the federal appellate and district courts are Catholic. So there's a strong surge of Catholic attorneys now who are filling the ranks of these appointments that are being made. Now, watch what Brother Branham says. There's an iron curtain and a bamboo curtain and a purple curtain. Brother, don't you fear none of the rest of them, but watch that purple curtain. 1962. She's sitting right here on the throne today in this country. Remember 1962, who's in power? John Kennedy. Remember, just like Ahab did, Jezebel was behind him. I don't say that Mr. Kennedy isn't a nice man. And I, I don't know nothing about him. He's the president. I believe he'll make a good president. It's not him. It's the system behind him. And wait till she gets wormed into the cabinet everywhere she can. Then watch what happens. And look what it's done in other nations. Look what it's always done. So now, in one of the most important uh, areas of our whole existence as a country, Catholics have a very strong dominating influence there, right? Just saying. Because a president is only going to be there four years or eight years at the max, right? But a Supreme Court uh, panel of judges is going to be there a while. So let's watch now what Brother Rand talks about the Catholic Church just for a few minutes here in terms of how it affects the, the American, uh, our country, okay? Now he's, well, well, you go back and look at the years. It's 1955, and then you come on through here. And he says, before the end time comes, there will be a woman, be a great ruler in this nation. And she'll either be president or something on that order, some great woman. And he begins to describe this. This is the seven continuous visions that he has, right? Where he talks about Hitler and Mussolini and talks about uh, the Maginot Line and he talks about the car, the bubble car. Everybody with me? And in that series of visions, he describes this woman. And he said in 1958, I said, remember in that day before the end time comes, a woman. Now you keep all this written down. To be a great, powerful woman rise up. He said, uh, either be president or dictator or some great powerful woman in the United States, and she'll sink under the influence of women. Remember that's thus saith the Lord. So we've had women who rose up in power now over these years here. And uh, it's interesting that Nancy Pelosi is in all of them. No matter how far you go in time, she's in all of them. 1960, everything is a 13. He said, everything is a woman. And remember, thus saith the Lord, to be a woman rule before the end time. She'll either be president, vice president, or it'll be a Catholic church as a woman. I've seen her. A great woman. The nation bowed to her. And it'll be one before the end time. Thus saith the Lord. Write it down. Find it out, you young people. And that's us. 
and see if it happens. And if it isn't, I'm a false prophet. 1961, there come a worship of a woman in the United States, and that'll be Mary. I've seen it. Uh, He said 1931. I've seen this way back there. It was one of those prophecies where uh, God will have to bring this to pass because it's the one prophecy where Brother Bram says it looked like a woman, and he said it looked like a church, right? And in one place he says, I don't really know. So hold on. So in, in terms of the, the, the link, and I will tell you, I don't know all the answers here. I sure, sure don't. And I'm not going to pretend that I do. But uh, there's a very strong connection between the Catholic system and what happens in this country. And all the presidents go there as soon as they're elected. And there's a, there's a lot of influence, and there's a, a growing amount of influence, which is all I'm saying to you this morning is that here's Brother Branham way back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, and he's describing certain things, and you're living in the fulfillment of them. And it ought to give you the faith and the understanding that, you know what, here's a prophet way back there saying things that are not in existence, but now we agree they are in existence. Then therefore the things that he said about up the road for us, they will probably come to pass exactly as he said as well. That's for us now to step into. This was John Kennedy's era. This was for, uh, you know, Reagan era and all of that. But now, you know what, it's not their time. It's our time now to step into the fulfillment of these prophecies. So we have, we have now a system where you have a, 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 a system that's behind in power and you have symbols that represent maybe we're at that time now where these things can happen. I'm just saying. Because I'm not digging this. I mean, this is, I'm, I'm being guided by what the scriptures are saying and what a prophet is saying here. Brother Bram said, make an image to her. And he said, what would it be? Just what they're doing right now. Exactly moving up into this confederation of churches. And all the churches belong to this organization. They all go into one group. And Pope John, that's John the 23rd, has invited them all back. And first thing you know, the whole thing comes right back to mom again. Because they're all harlots to begin with. God organized communism just the same as he did King Nebuchadnezzar to chastise Israel. So God will take a China. God will take a Russia. God will use those nations here and then discard them to fulfill his prophecy. Isn't that right? And, and he's, it's all described in the scripture. And he raised up communism. She'll blow Rome, Rome plumb off the map. I'm against communism. It's anti-God. Sure it is. But don't you pay so much attention to that iron curtain. You watch the purple curtain. So when you take, when you take the words of John Paul II and the words of Brother Branham and lay them side by side, if you can read quickly between my words, you can, uh, you can go ahead and read it there. And, and he, the Pope says, uh, he says, the World Council has been a valuable instrument at the service of the ecumenical movement in, in italics, that they all may be one. Those are the words of Jesus. And with regard to the relationship between the World Council and the Roman Catholic Church, it's our hope that ways of future collaborator action within the framework of the working group. In other words, hey, the idea presented is this. Let's all work together. But that's not what it really means. What it really means is we're here to take you over. On the basis of the scripture that we all may be one. Now, look on the right side of the screen at brother, what Brother Branham said. Let's all unite together, the Pope says. I want all my ecumenical brethren out there to unite with me. We are one. That's right. In organizations, you're one. Now, what's really interesting here that you've got to look at is that Brother Branham says this in 1963, and he says that in 1998. So Brother Ram's not commenting on what the Pope says. 
The Pope is fulfilling what a prophet said. Think we're at the end time? You better believe we're at the end time. Wisdom versus faith. And they're soon up now to form a confederation of churches, he says, which will be the image of the beast, and we'll have the same power in this nation, Revelation 13, 11, that they had over there to cause a persecution upon the saints. You know where the 68 million died? They didn't die in America. A few of them did, right, at the hands of the Jesuits in Quebec and different places there. But let me tell you, the majority of the 68 million died in Europe and in the pogroms and all the different uh, movements over there. And he says, we'll have the same power in this nation that they had over there come a persecution on the saints, he said, that they did at the beginning of the church. And that's where it's heading right now. That's where it's moving right now. I'm just saying, that's all. Because not only now do they have influence wormed into the system here in in our country. Catholic president, overwhelming majority on the Supreme Court. And here's Brother Branham again in 1962. He says, you know, he says, do you hear on Lifeline, it's going to sell the bonds on the gold. And he said that this uh, gold standard is what he's talking about here. And he says, the only thing it can do is go bankrupt. And that's the only sensible thing to do is change the currency. But they won't do it under this present administration. Roman Catholic Church owns the gold of the world. I will tell you, that's an intriguing statement to me. I, I don't, I'm not going to pretend I know what that means. Here he is again in the Church Age book. Roman, he says, with the world church system under her, Rome will be controlling. And this image, this church system will be obedient to Rome because Rome controls the gold of the world. This is the leader of the World Council of Churches there. And, uh, you know, this, this relationship is not a, an association of equals. This is not equal. This is lopsided. This is all going to be headed by one, one system and one man on top of that pile. I don't know what it means to say that Rome holds the gold of the world. I, I really don't know. And I don't know what Brother Bram was looking at. But in my research and in the reading that I've done, I know that they are the largest non-governmental landholder in the world. They have 177 billion acres of property. You go into any town in the U.S., drive downtown in the middle of town, what do you find? But a great big Catholic church and their fellowship hall and all, you know, they, they own prime property all over the world. And then the operating budget for the Catholic church for this year, I think this was last year, their operating budget is $179 billion just in the U.S. alone. Uh, so, I mean, they own something. <laughs> they have a valuation somewhere. And as I've shared with you some of the things that were found in the Vatican Bank, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's just a, an amazingly small and corrupt entity but yet holds an enormous amount of power and moving into a place of even greater power as we speak. And the changes that are being made in the Vatican Bank would astound you, and we don't have enough time to to get into it here. So we might as well admit, Brother Branham said, that the Anglo-Saxon people, people like in, in this part of the world, he said, it's finished. There's no more gospel that America will receive. They just got their own hard headed ideas and they're set. And I will tell you something, they have their own hard-headed ideas, but it's even fracturing in our nation. Somebody sent me a link this week about the Southern Baptists. Half 
just about half of all Protestants in America are Baptists. And they're in the midst of trying to keep the whole thing together from splitting in two over political questions. Should they be conservative and stay Republican, or should they be more liberal and open and, you know, side with the majority of people? In other words, the LBGTQRSTUV group and all of the other things that are out there, and be more broad-minded and have, you know, be open to that, or should we be more fundamental and kind of be Republican in political action? And, all? and they're in the middle, uh, if you haven't seen it, they're in the middle of a huge debate over which way they're going to go, and they don't know, and there's two big sections in the Southern Baptist Convention, and they're moving in two different directions. It would be interesting. So in other words, if the Protestant groups in this nation have less and less power because they have less and less clout, then you know what? There's only going to be one church left. And I will tell you what, when they, get a, when they begin to exercise power, and according to Revelation 13 they will, then you're going to need to know where you stand. Because churches like this really are pretty minuscule when it comes to the powers of this world. Now, I believe that God has his eye on this church. I believe that God has his eye on this church because you're in it. Because you're sitting here, God's very interested in what happens here and what goes on here and what decisions are made about this church. I believe that God's in control. Do you believe that? But you better believe that just sitting in this church is not your protection, but your relationship with Christ is what, where you need to, to make sure that you're in relationship with him. Because Brother Bram said there's depression coming, there's atomic bomb coming, there's a great plague coming, all the diseases and everything, he said. But she's ready. There's a bride that's getting herself ready, getting dressed and ready to go. This is what Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 21. Distress of nations, perplexity and so forth. And Brother Bram says in that hour we need to know what to do. And he said, I believe we have Sputniks in the sky and handwriting on the wall and all these things that are, uh, that are taking place. And he says, this could happen any time. I'm going fast here. And you can look at it. Zechariah prophesies about the last time and about the things that would happen. And in that day, God says, hey, you go cry for your deliverance. Go cry and find uh, some source of hope and strength in, your, in the day when all this comes down. And Brother Bram, I'm going to, and I'm going to end this on what Brother Bram says about Israel. And he says in the Dead Sea, he says there's all these resources here. And off the coast, there's the uh, resources that are out there and the platforms that are out there now drilling. Goliath, I think, is one of them and uh, a couple of the other huge ones that are out there. And Brother Bram's describing the wealth of natural resources under the ground in and around Israel way before it's ever discovered. This is 1955, and Brother Bram's talking about, he says it has enough chemicals in the bottom of of it, that all the wealth of the world couldn't buy. Uranium and all that at the bottom of the Dead Sea is 1955 before any of it is discovered. He's describing it. You think Brother Branham was right? Ah, he said it sets off buzzers in our hearts. He says that we know to be ready. Everybody hearing the buzzer? Right? This sermon's a buzzer. This sermon is a, uh, you know, a wake-up call for every one of us here. So then Brother Branham says, watch Russia. And how many people will tell me, they say, well, you know, whenever that happens, then we'll get ready. Brother Branham says, in 1951, when Russia goes down there to get that oil, look out. That's all she needs. That's what the prophet said it would do. And we're ready for it then. So I have a question for you then. Was it on this visit that he went down for the oil or this visit? 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 
He's been down there a long time. Getting lots of oil. You know why? This is the Washington Post. Putin understands better than anyone that oil and gas are the source of Russia's resurgence as a military and economic power and his own control over the Russian government and its economy. He's been doing this a long time. Don't wait for Russia to go down and get the oil. Russians been there, done that, and got the, got the uh, oil, empty oil barrels to prove it. It's oil and gas that provide money to maintain Russia's powerful military along with a vast internal security apparatus and network of government-controlled enterprises that allow the president turn premier to maintain his iron grip on the whole thing and to hack into your systems. Where do you think that all that's financed? Where do you think all that comes from? So, Brother Branham uses this. He's, he's making sure that we understand that there are certain things that happen in the world. And you know what? Some of them are being fulfilled. Some of them are past. You need to realize they're, past, they're over. They're not waiting around for you to figure out what's going to happen. It's already done happened. And Brother Ram says just before the end, just before it winds up, he says there's messengers that come down, angels. Oral Roberts goes to this group. Billy Graham goes to this group. And he says, in my little ministry, he said, is Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So now, according to Zechariah, we have a new man rising up in Israel. Several years ago, several years ago, uh, my mother-in-law and I dispatched Andrew to go to New York City. Uh, it was on over a weekend. This was years ago, and I told you about it. And it was the 75th anniversary of the Jerusalem Post. And they were having a celebration at the Marriott Hotel that's at Times Square. Great big meeting place there. And they, they opened it up for everybody to go. So my mother-in-law and I, we got together and said, who can we send? Andrew. So we sent Andrew to New York, and he flew out there and attended the meeting. And he came back, and I said, I, I, we sent him to find out all he could about where Israel was moving because all the players and the players-to-be were all going to be there. It was a very important meeting. And all the, all the newbies, all the upcoming politicians and movers and shakers were all going to be there, and we wanted him to go and listen and find out what he could. He comes back. I said, what happened? He said, Dad, all they talked about was housing. I said, housing? Yes, he said. They were talking about how that, you know, they're going to build settlements in the desert, and they're going to claim the land. And they're going, to, they're going to put little communities and cities and towns all over the place and move Jews out into those places. And he said they already had the plans made, the housing development structures all there, the money for infrastructure and pipelines and sewers and water is all there. And he said... They're, they're just on fire. He said they're just, they're just absolutely on fire. He said they're more conservative than the Netanyahu is in power right now. They're, they're more uh, zealous. They're more aggressive. They're more biblical-minded. They're, they're, they're absolutely, he said, exciting to listen to compared to the politicians now. He said it's exciting to listen to those fellows talk. And I said, well, who are they? And he said, well, one of them. His name is Bennett. That was about 15 years ago. And the guy who did the most talking back then was the most zealous, was a fellow by the name of Naftali Bennett. And this week he became invited to form a government, and he's now possibly the Prime Minister of Israel. 
So now we have a man who's slated to be sworn in Sunday as Israel's new prime minister. And he is an astonishing, successful risk taker. He's a fellow who believes in God. He believes in prophecy. He believes that the land is Israel's. It is not Israel and Palestine. It is Israel's land. And he, to me, would be the kind of person, and I'm not saying that he's the last prime minister there or whatever, but he's the kind of person that Zechariah talked about. He said, he said they're like firebrands. He said God will raise up these men like firebrands in a sheath of, of the field. In other words, they're like, they're like uh, torches. In, in the last days. So what Zechariah describes, you can, I, I skipped over it, but you can read it, how Zechariah says be, God will raise up men in the last day who will uh, govern my people Israel. And they'll be like uh, torches in their hand. They'll be on fire. And they'll set everything else on fire when they get in their offices there and govern God's people. And now we're living in a place where these men are now moving into positions. These were junior men back in the day. And now here they are moving into positions. Brother Ram said, you want to see what day we're living in. He said, hey, you look, at, you look on the calendar, naturally speaking, but in the season of the coming of the Lord, he said, watch where Israel's sitting. That's God's timepiece. How many believe that? And, and then he, he talks about what Benjamin represents and how they came over in this simplicity over those years and established a nation that is now powerful. And even though great nations stood against them, Israel has consistently made this statement, we are not susceptible to pressure. We will do what is right. A people in which Israel is brought under attack is not a true peace. A peace, sorry. In which Israel is brought under attack is not a true peace. Jerusalem belongs to the Jewish people and will remain under Israeli sovereignty for eternity. The men who follow Netanyahu are more zealous than that in saying, what they believe about Israel. You know where this is moving? This is moving to the last climax, which, is, which would be Armageddon, the last battle on earth. My goodness, if that's, if that's true, if, we're, if, we're preparing for that, if they're preparing for that, even in their own minds, if they're preparing for that, and on the drawing boards of, of the IDF, if that's what they're doing over there, you know what? Then there's got to be a, two prophets that rise up in Israel. And you know what's got to happen before that? There's got to be a Gentile bride taken away before that happens. And you're sitting here observing and listening to and trying to stay awake in the midst of a presentation that shows so many things being fulfilled right in our time, happening, and have happened already. And letting us know that here we are right in the last day when all of this has taken place here. So you've got to ask the question, what kind of people should we be? And, and here's, what Jesus, here's what Paul writes to us, let us watch and be sober because the time is upon us. Let's stand to our feet. The time is upon us, and we've moved into that cycle of fulfillment and completion here where there's very little, very little at all that needs to be fulfilled. Very little at all when you think about it of, of all the, uh, the things that are taking place. Hey, it, it is just really a, a, a maturing, just a completion. And I will tell you what, more than anything else, Satan fights the presence of God because the presence of God is what we need in order to ripen and mature. The presence of God, the shining of the sun is the thing that brings that seed to maturity and brings out all the qualities that lay in it. 
And that's why Satan will do everything he can to try to discourage you and distance you and bring things into your life that distract you and pull you away from the presence of God. Let me, uh, let me assure you, saints of God, it's that presence that we should crave for. It's that presence that we should pray for. It's that presence that we should desire to enter into whenever the doors open and we get an opportunity to come and, and, and be gathered together. Because that's the thing that's going to mature that seed of faith that lays inside you and prepare you for the world to come. God's not preparing you to stay here and and fight with the Jews. I mean, if we could, I would. I don't know about you, but I would. But God's not preparing us for that. He's preparing us to get out of here. He's preparing us to leave. He's preparing the Gentile bride to move to another place. And the, the the world to go to another place. And Israel to go to another place. God's got it all under control. I believe that He's got it all under control. Let's sing that this morning. He's got it all in control. God's got it all in control. And He puts that reassurance deep down in my soul. He's got it all Everybody now, sing it. God's got it all in control. Mitchell, come on, help me sing here if you will. Yes, he's got it all in control. Puts that reassurance deep down in my soul. He's got it all in control. Sing it again now one more time. He's got it all in control. God's got it all in control. got it all. Sounds really good. Sing it again now one more time. Thank you, Jesus. He's got it all in control. He's got it all in control. He puts that reassurance deep down in my got it all in control. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into. They are be the name of the Lord most high. Blessed be the name of the 
every praise is to our God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You ought to just say, thank you, Lord, for letting me see what, I, what we see today. Wow. And in an hour, just, you know, kind of to summarize all that stuff and more besides. And, you know, to think about this is what people in all ages wondered about and all those prophecies and stuff. And you're looking at them. You're looking at them on the screen. Wow, it's just an amazing thing. We are blessed people. Blessed are your eyes. Blessed are your ears to have seen what we heard in our day. And to have the understanding of it. And to have the agreement at heart that this is for me. God did this for me to get me ready so I could go and be on the other side with him forever. God did all of this to fulfill his prophecy. They're in the laboratory of of God tinkering around to fulfill prophecy. All of it's got to come to pass to get you ready to get you in the right place. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship, one accord. Oh, every praise, every praise is to our God. Hallelujah to our God.
sing it again now. First verse. Every praise is to our God. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God. Glory, hallelujah Every praise, every praise is to our God. He's God, my Savior. God, my healer. God, my deliverer. Yes, He is. Yes, He is. God, my Savior. God, my healer. God, my deliverer. Yes, He is. Yes, He is. Thank God I am free. Free, free from this world of sin. Been washed in the blood of Jesus. Been born again. I'm just a passing through Somewhere beyond the blue And the angels beckon me From heaven's open door And I can't feel at home In this world anymore Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you If heaven's not my home From heaven's open door And I can't feel at home in this world anymore Well, they're all expecting me And that's one thing I know Well, I fixed it up with Jesus many years ago And I know He'll see me through Though I am weak and poor This world anymore. 
just over in the glory land. We'll live eternally, and the saints on every hand, they're shouting victory. Songs of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore, and I can't told me one time about flying on a plane and uh, told me about the wings and I, I didn't believe him until I sat one time by the window of a, of a plane. It wasn't a big jets, you know, one of the big ones. And they fill those wings up with fuel to the full when they're going overseas. And they sag like this. They just sag down. When he rolls off the gate, he goes out to the end of the runway. It's just sagging. He, you know, bouncing like this. And then as he runs down that runway and picks up speed, those wings come up like this full of fuel and they'll come up they say 25 feet the tip of that wing will actually rise 25 feet higher than when it's down here you know what does that it's lift lift the air the air moving over that wing and under that wing and it'll it'll cause a lift and then eventually when that wing uh, you know doesn't expand anymore it just picks up the whole plane the whole plane goes up like that full of people, full of stuff, laden. And it just picks that thing up and just goes off into the air. But it all starts with a little bit of lift. Feel like you got a little lift today? Hey, the hearing of the Word and, you know, rejoicing with God's people just causes lift. 
And eventually one day, you know, we're going we're gonna to ha- have all the expansion in this world that we need. And then all of a sudden that bride just picks up and she's gone. Glory, hallelujah. I love a little lift. I love a little lift. I think it's a wonderful thing to experience lift. What are we singing? We've got the power in the name of Jesus. We've got the Tell someone else about it. Because you, you've, you've got, you got, you're leaving here with a ring full of keys. You've got keys. Answers to things that people in this world have questions about. Where it's going. And how will it all end. What's next. Everyone wants to know what's next. You're walking around with a key in your hand. You say, hey, I'll show you this in the Bible. I show you this. Look at this sermon. You know, here's, God has done great things in our time. All right, you know what? I ought to stir every one of us. If you're not exactly where you need to be with God, get where you need to be with God. You're not saved, get saved. I believe there's still blood in the mercy seat. I believe there's still possibility for a person to be forgiven of their sins, to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. No better day than today. No better time than now. We're going on. Things are going on. God's not stopping. If I, if I perceive it right, God's accelerating. This thing's going faster. I don't want to. Stay. I don't want to be around for the last day and say, "Should have done this. Should have done that." I don't want to be one of those. I want to say, "I enjoyed the journey all the way through." 
right said. If you believe we're going to have church on Wednesday night, say amen. Sing this as you go tonight. I looked over Jordan and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. I looked looked over Jordan and what did I see? Coming for to carry me Oh, sweet.